you would think that car is car and they produce the same kind of sound. Uh, that is to say the same, but that all humans sound the same. And uh, then you say, okay, but on, on average they are, are similar. Well, like humans, like in Norway, also fish have dialects. So cod in the North Sea sounds different from cod in the Barents Sea. You'll be listening to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of Boreales Samtala. Samtala means conversation in Norwegian, and our conversations is an important part of each year's festival program. And it's where we get to dig deeper into the work of the composers, artists, and musicians presented in each year's festival. My name is Vilde Tuve, and each month for this podcast, I've been finding a new conversational highlight from the archives. For the next episode that is released in January 2021, the focus will be towards the future, with new conversations inviting artists from Borealis 2021. But first, I want to take you back with a conversation from 2017 about a phenomena present in time but out of reach for us in our daily lives. The world of sound below sea level. Iana Vindaran is a field recorder and artist with a background in science and math and was invited to Borealis 2017 to present a sound installation where she displayed a multi-channel investigation of the history of sound recording in the Norwegian marine, relating it to her own practice. Joined by Knut Korsbrake, fishery biologist from Havforskningsinstituta, and Geir Pedersen, underwater acoustician from Christian Michelsen Research Institute, they discuss old and new technologies of listening and recording sounds underwater. What are the meeting points of Vindar and Sound-focused creative work and the systematic data-driven science from the marine researchers? What information are we able to find when we listen? And why do we do it? Here is artistic director of Borealis, Peter Meanwell, starting the conversation. Maybe I can just ask you to start just to, just to tell the audience here what you do and, and what your relationship to sound is. Jana, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's sort of, it started really early since I was a child. I've always been occupied with what's happening under the surface. Um, that Mjösa that in the 70s almost died from uh, algae overgrowth. So, and it's, it's been a sort of interest. So instead of kind of saying that... I change from science to art. I rather say that I'm, you know, it's the core of what I've been interested in and looking at it from different angles, kind of thing. Uh, so since I studied science uh, for four years in Oslo, mathematics, chemistry, biochemistry, and a little course in fish ecology before I started to do them, uh, stopped. And what, what is it you do now? Like, what, what's, the, what's the day job, seeing as you quit science? <laughs> well, I've, my day job now, and it is traveling around, recording on, from ships, different ships, from, um, you know, also the trips where I get invited to. I always bring the equipment, um, though more kind of concentrated towards underwater and also of ultrasounds, frequencies in air. Okay, so this mm. is a kind of a field recording practice that you have. I have, but I do it because I want to put focus towards issues, the places I go to. Right. Just give us a quick list off the top of your head of some recent places you've been recording. Okay. Um, right. 
Dominican Republic was uh, a good one, uh, which uh, kind of made sense. Uh, I went there to record on the coral reef there, which died since the 1980s um, of a bacteria uh, that kind of wiped out the corals there because there is not so much biodiversity in this area, so it all died from this bacteria. So we wanted to go there and, and have a listen if there were sort of uh, differences between a dead reef and where it was growing back, if we could listen to uh, sound identities of the different reefs. There is a hypothesis that says it's a fish larvae is uh, homing back to particular reefs because of the sound character. So we want to kind of listen to that, and it's also the area where the humpback are going to give birth and uh, later mate. I, I believe that they go there to give birth because it's uh, the females go there because it's favorable environment. There's right. warm water. If they were giving birth up here, uh, they would get pneumonia. So they have found this area in the Caribbean. Um, it's also not so deep, and the reef is there to, you know, it, it's favorable because it, the swell is smaller. Uh, so it's a, a good place to give birth. Sounds very smart going to the Dominican Republic yeah. rather than up and in the <laughs> Arctic. But I, I want to come back to this idea of what, what we learned from listening underwater, but maybe we can ask Knut just to give us a, a quick introduction to himself, yeah, and we sure. can come back to that, because there's, yeah. so there's a lot to talk about here. I so, can go uh, on forever. Yeah, absolutely. Knut, who, what do you do, and what's your relationship to Yeah, um, so Educationally, my background is in uh, mathematical statistics, uh, but also fisheries, biology. So I've been also working with uh, with uh, propagation of radio waves, and, and uh, uh, I was kind of thinking when I, I kind of started at the Institute of Marine Research that now it would be more like completely different things to do. But uh, I discovered that we are using waves that propagates, and we use sound in our on our research as well. Um, the main uh, kind of uh, objectives or the main task related to my my department, which is the demersal one, is to uh, get an impression or to try to estimate um, the status of different fish stocks. This is to then be able to give advice to fisheries managers so you can have sustainable harvesting of fisheries resources. So you, you're able to use sound to tell what's in the sea? It's that kind of... That is actually one part of it, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's on fractional. We can come back to the details there, and sure. I can spend a few days describing it Great. if you like. How you're all sitting yeah. comfortably. Yeah. 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 Gaia, what's your day job and, and what's your relationship to sound? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, no, but I, I don't have a good story. Uh, it's a series of coincidences that I'm here today and, and um, kind of studying underwater sound and but my main area of expertise and focus is kind of how is sound generated underwater how does it propagate what happens when it hits fish or gas bubbles or any other other objects in the sea so it's and it's a mix of projects that are kind of to figure out the distribution of animals that could be one project another could be more industrial like uh, for instance looking for um, leaks from subsea oil and gas installations. So it's a kind of broad, it's been, I used to work with that IMR with Knut, so then it was very focused on fisheries, but now it's kind of broadened out a bit. Um, and I think kind of for the rest of the discussion, I mean, we're talking about two different things or two different ways of using sound. One is kind of you sending it out and then you're listening to it 
like Knut is doing most of the time. And the other one is just listening, like uh, Jana is doing. So basically seeing and hearing uh, underwater could be an analogy for that. Absolutely. And it, it strikes me that there are all the, the other two angles to look at this is there's the sounds that the things in the sea make, and there's the sounds that we make underwater, and that has an impact on the, the folk who are down there. Um, I wonder whether we could just do some basics, because I know very little about this, and I've learned a lot from, from, from being involved with Yana's piece, about how, you know, what are the qualities of sound underwater, because it's not the same as above the water, right? Does anyone want to give us a, a beginner's guide, a very brief beginner's guide to how sound is underwater, how it exists? Well, it travels almost five times faster. That's one kind of thing that I become, you know, are very aware of. It's really hard, to, even if you can't see a ship or a boat, you can hear it really loudly. So it's a constant problem for me to um, try to record without having a man-made or a human-made sounds. Um, in terms of the physics of it, I think I'd leave it over to, uh, to you. Well, it, it's a very different material from air. It's much denser. It has, yeah, it has, um, so it's much denser, which means that, kind of, okay, what is sound? Sound is kind of particles or molecules that have been pushed together. Uh, and if the density is higher, it will propagate faster and longer. Uh, so the water is denser than yeah, air as yes. a propagation material yeah. for so sound, yeah. It's 10 times, or actually more. <clears throat> so it, that, that is a better condition for propagating waves along a um, long way, and it propagates much faster. And so, you know, underwater becomes this kind of 3D uh, environment in which sound can propagate in any direction. And that propagation also changes with time of year and where you are geographically, because you have this gradient, sound speed gradient, which uh, depends on temperature, pressure, and salinity. And so you can, if the conditions are very unfavorable, you can be very close to a sound source, but it will be refracted upwards or downwards. So there is, it's a very complex environment um, for sound. And how do, how do the, the guys under the water, not us, the, the fish, the mammals, how do they hear, how do they receive, how do they use sound? Okay, they... Um is it really quite complex, the way a fish is uh, picking up sound? I mean, do you have the, the sidelines? You know, I mean, maybe you should talk about that too. Yeah, okay, I'll continue. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the fish becomes like a large sensor somehow, and then they have the same um, density as water almost, and then they have the, the otolith inside of the ear, which is of much denser material. Uh, and it lies within cilia hairs uh, of, you know, century hairs. So it will pick up the vibrations from, uh, from the water and, and then, yeah, right, right? Um, while the mammals have... Uh, so, and they have inner ears, like, like ours Fish kind do. of thing, you know. They just don't yeah. have these outer ears. It's not... And, I mean, they are so much better... Um, I mean, for us to, they also use the bone structure. So if we are listening underwater, we, the bone structure is better than our ear, you know, because we have air inside of our ears. So it's not really made very well for listening underwater for us. And this, we use the um, skull or the bone structure. 
I mean, there's uh, this saying that uh, Greenlander people are using a, a wooden oar. And I was kind of thinking, where did they get the wooden oar from? But that's, this is kind of uh, the saying that they put the oar into the um, uh, water and can listen to the whale that way. And done it for years, okay, long so before they, hydrophones. They use came bone around. conduction as a yeah. way of hearing yeah. underwater, so yeah. vibrational energy yeah. through. This is something I've heard, at least, with feeding. Yeah. And actually. also, Alaskan uh, <laughs> native uh, people do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so it is a, kind of, it is a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Good the m- main point is maybe that the, uh, the fish can use both uh, the traditional hearing and also the lateral line. Yeah. Uh, you have similar things, and some of you, if you were doing the opening yesterday, you can actually feel some of the sound in moving in your chest. If there is strong and low and, and low, enough, low, low frequency, you can actually feel it in your body, things moving. Uh, the lateral line is much more sen- makes much more. Um, um, it's a perception from the fish that is, is way above our, our let, 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 but what we can do. Uh, one example there is uh, I took part in an experiment where you had uh, tagging of fish which you released in a fjord. And um, uh, after a day or so, um, the, uh, it was w- w- quite uh, quiet, very calm conditions. And after a day or so, the, the wind picked up and you had started to get some wave movements and you had waves hitting the, the shore of that fjord. And the fish was able to then navigate up in the water column, could not see the bottom, could not see the sides, but were able to actually track and follow the fjord, independent of the visibility, just feeling the waves from the lateral line and navigate by that. So it actually, based on the lateral line, a fish have a three-dimensional picture of what's around it. And that's really amazing. We can't start imagining what it's like. You have hearing in addition to this 3D picture. How do you how do you map? Because I think Jana, you're, when you're recording, it's it's well, you have done three D recordings underwater, but you're, you're you're listening to have a single point of of reference. But when when you're doing research, you're trying to use sound to to map a three D environment underwater. Is that right? So I guess if, if you got to start, I mean, <clears throat> there are two ways of doing this kind of research. I mean, one is listening, and the other one is using active. So when you listen, it basically do the same as Jana. But uh, if you just have one hydrophone, you don't. You can only hear. You can hear the sounds. You don't know where it is, so you can't follow the animals or anything like that. If you have two, then you can, you know, triangle or not triangulate, but you can at least tell if it's in front of you or behind you. And if you have three or more hydrophones, then you can start tracking individuals that are using sound. Right. So it's it's. From, from a mono to a stereo yeah. to a multi-channel system allows you to place stuff in, or to find stuff as well. Yeah, to and also that, that's, I mean, we as, as humans use, have to use sound in much the same way as animals and water in order to do the things we need to do there. For instance, position an ROV or an AOV or uh, put out um, different kind of uh, things on the seafloor. We need to kind of... You need to use the same kind of senses that uh, whales and other mammals are using in order to orient ourselves and detect obstacles and things like that. Jana, how do you record? Like when you go out into the field or yeah. sea, I guess, what, no, what's your... It's always more than one hydrophone because it's uh, also very interesting to me, different depths. I remember some of the first recordings I did, I had two hydrophones and one down at sort of 30 meters in Mjösa, actually. And I heard this resonating tone from land. It was like 
at 30 meters, exactly. Just underneath, it was 35, there was nothing, and there's a bell, there wasn't. So, you know, you, you really start to hear the difference, and these kind of invisible but audible landscape I keep talking about, you know, relating to the pressure, the salinity, the temperature, it changes. And, you know, mammals, the whales are using this, you know, then these sound channels that they found, where you have the sound bouncing and can go really, really long distances, and which is also used and in, the, in the military, knowing about this. But mm. then it's using sound actively. We are using sound actively, and we, we call it an echo sounder. Uh, a sounder is actually a, a device, or, or uh, uh, originally what you do to, uh, to measure depth, and that was the initial, uh, initial uh, uh, use of sending uh, active sound down, have a reflection, an echo, from the bottom uh, to measure depth. And the first patent uh, is almost 120 years old now. Then it was kind of uh, patented in this idea. And it was, uh, uh, you got the technical equipment to do it after the, uh, the big war, the First World War. And they started using uh, more traditional echo sounders in the 30s. And actually detected that you, you not only getting reflections from the bottom. You could get reflections above the bottom, which was uh, which, uh, usually was fish. So there was a Norwegian that was the first to publish it in, in Nature and had some nice um, illustrations on, on that in, in Nature, how, how he, he observed cod uh, in the Lofoten area. The first uh, observations, what we call observations, that you actually see uh, sound reflecting from fish was, was herring schools. And so uh, at least Norwegian fishermen was very early uh, trying to locate fish using this echo sounder. Uh, we use it not only to, to, to locate fish, we, we use it to, um, to measure the abundance. And uh, we can have a look at what these uh, echograms look like. Uh, this is... Um, a picture uh, when we have processed information on a computer and present it on a screen. So the top is on the top. Uh, the big red, dark red uh, line is actually the bottom. Uh, we have some additional helping lines and stuff, but you can see big schools of spawning cod in this uh, this uh, so this so this red line at the top is the top of the ocean. That's the, ocean, the top of the ocean and up there. And this one here is the is the ocean floor. This is the ocean floor. And this is time across here. This is this is then distance across here. Distance across distance here. Okay. or time because or time. we are moving. Yeah, we are yeah. moving. So it's like this. This represents then kind of a curtain through the water column. So it's a part of the three dimensional, which is like a curtain. It's a narrow volume we are observing in. So it's a, a slice of the sea. It's a slice of the sea. Okay. And okay, if you are doing it systematically, then you cut more slices. It's like cutting slices in a bread and, and count the number of raisins, but there are a lot more than raisins in a bread. This is, and we, you go through it like that. So it's, it's, it's the same thing, actually, yeah. So this is what every amateur fisherman would love to have when they go out <laughs> trying to catch their cod on a Saturday afternoon, right? <laughs> to be able to know where the fish are. So just to be really clear, these little dots here are all fish? These are all fish. What yeah. fish are we These seeing? are spawning cod off Lofoten Islands. And in the next picture, yeah. this is looking down, and this is above surface off the Lofoten Islands. Sunny, nice day. And based on our observations, we can then, we want to have more details. Uh, what we could see there is, the, is what we call the reflected energy. You send a sound pulse down, and you get reflected energy back. If you get more energy back, then you know there's more fish. 
but the reflected energy is depending on the size of the fish, and it's the swim bladder that reflects the sound. And uh, if you double the size of a fish, the swim bladder is usually also twice as long, twice as wide. So a uh, twice as long fish gives approximately four times as much echo energy as uh, half the size. Uh, so actually the size matters in this. So we want to, we need to know the size of the fish. And well, we can't do everything with uh, echo sounders and acoustics. We need to catch fish. And we collect it. The crew is looking at it. And we have our detailed measurements. And then we go into the detail. We have the, uh, the echo abundance, what we call it. It's actually used to scale the amount of fish. That is the big, important one. And then we try to characterize it into a distribution of sexes, maturity stages, how old is the fish. This is a big cod. So uh, there's a lot more to it than just a bulk of fish. So more and more details needed in, uh, in uh, assessing the status of the stock and uh, see what, what will happen in the future. Yeah. And this is from a conservation point of view, from an industry point of view? For, like, why do you do this? What's the we do it uh, in order to, to facilitate harvesting of a resource. And uh, some of the main objectives now of, of harvesting a resource is to maximize the harvest. Sounds a little uh, harsh, maybe. Possibly, yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. In a con if you think of conservation, sure, yeah. But uh, only an ecosystem and a fish stock in good condition can actually supply you. You are actually harvesting on the surplus production, right? So you actually, and you are in it for the long term. So conservation is is integral to, to any harvesting process. Yes, yeah. sure. If you yeah. run out of fish, then there's yeah. no harvest, right? Usually, you, you can also have other considerations than just maximizing your harvest. You can add, add something, what you call a, a different ecosystem aspects, other use of the ecosystem, and then you usually will reduce the human impact slightly to facilitate that. Yeah. Fascinating. Should we show your? Do you want? Yeah, you I just, also have a picture from the little footnotes. Excellent. <clears throat> I thought that would fit nicely. Work the machine. So, um, so this is so this was an echo sounder which you send out sound and listen for the return. And the other this short movie we have here or picture, uh, it's also from the Lofoten Islands, but that's been recorded by using a hydrophone, uh, like Jana's doing. So, in this case, this is a visual representation of sound. Okay. Um, so, on the uh, here you have time and up there you have frequency and the colors tell you how strong the sound is so basically when you kind of <clears throat> we want to uh, estimate what kind of noise there is in an area or you want to uh, listen for whales or fish and try to figure out why they're how they're vocalizing and what they're using it for uh, then just listening to it is, is a bit difficult to, um, to quantify um, aspects of the sound. Um, like we talked about earlier, perhaps we should listen more to sound as well. But from an analysis point of view, uh, having it graphically or visually like this makes, makes it much more easier to go through large data sets and also to make automatic processing, like you could use image processing here in order to pick out uh, the different components and things like that. But this is, again, outside Lofoten Islands. Uh, Knut would probably not be able to see this animal with the echo sounder. He would have to be very, very um, lucky. Because this is a humpback whale. <clears throat> so it spent uh, 
the day in this area. Um, and we could go listen to its song for something like 16 hours or so. Um, and also, uh, so this is part of a project that's ongoing, uh, that's led by IMR, uh, and we're also involved in building an underwater permanent observatory in the, outside Lofoten Islands. In order this is to the LOVA. Yes, yes, that is, yeah. So the plan there is to have multiple sensors in order to observe kind of all aspects of of what's going on underwater. But like um, um, like you said, you need other observations. You need to catch the fish in order to say something about size, or at least something about age and um, state and things like that. So kind of sound doesn't solve everything, but it gives us a lot of information. But you can get size from the sound? Yeah, yeah you can. So I, I, I tried to um, rectify that error and move on quickly over to age and uh, <laughs> other things. <laughs> good. Now, uh, unfortunately, this is recorded, so I don't care. Yeah, but it's, uh, I think you're allowed. Can you, you're allowed can you to edit out that edit afterwards? afterwards. <laughs> so should we have a look at this? Uh, yeah, we, we, can, yeah. we can watch the video. Okay, so what happens now? It plays this video. So these are the calls of the humpback. Is frequency on the side? frequency up here and then it's time over there. yesterday in Jana's piece, but so there's actually two things. This is a fin whale, so this is a very much larger whale. It's probably out in the Norwegian Sea somewhere, uh, and you couldn't hear it because it's uh, infrasonic. But anyway, then kind of... What oh, so there's two whales here, so there's yeah, a humpback on the top, and then these little red blobs are the fin, fin whales. whales. Okay, yeah. which is too deep for us to hear. And yeah. is, this, is this at the actual frequency, or have you sped yes. this up? No, no, this is uh, as recorded. So if we had our, our Greenlandic or to our heads, we could have heard this. You would have heard a humpback, yeah. Okay. Mm. What well, can you say something? I mean, there's a very clear pattern here. There's there's a kind of two short, uh, yeah. two short peaks, and then a descending line, mm -hmm. and it repeats. What do we know about what that is and how it? Well, so um, you know, starting in the 1960s, um, was it Richard and Katie? Uh, Payne, they realized that kind of there was a structure to the humpback whale song. So basically, the way they kind of divided it is that this is one unit, uh, and this is one unit, 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 and these, this is a theme. Now, this is a phrase, and that repeats many times into a um, theme, and there are different themes based on different phrases and, sub and units that actually makes up a song. And the humpback, you, uh, we're not exactly sure how they use it. Uh, it could mating is one thing, but you see also that they um, do this when they're not mating. So it could also be kind of group communication or group cohesion and things like that as well. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, Jana, you've heard this yeah. sound before, presumably. Yeah, yeah, sure. And um, you know, at the Silver Bank, there was like each year they have uh, a new song. And there's still a kind of question how they learn this same. You know, everybody is doing the same. Mm. You know, 
and it was 40 minutes long. We recorded the whole length of it. It's, some people say it's 20 minutes. Well, I'm really sure it was 40 minutes because uh, we could hear it again and again, you know. Um, so, uh, and I was recently told that it had to do with hormonal uh, changes. So they can already start to, uh, uh, to do the singing in the north before they are going to the south. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a theory, yeah. yeah. And it's probably right, because this is kind of, this is the whale that's probably going south. Yeah. Uh, on a way to holiday. <laughs> we're, all, we're all going south one way that kind of, Yeah, that kind of, a special kind of holiday. Yeah, yeah. I was in Greenland right. and uh, met uh, one there and he uh, didn't say anything. So yeah, it was yeah. just feeding, and it was not really. I didn't record anything, but the the sound of the blow you know, from underwater. So it's communication. It's yeah. I, I think this is kind of one of the <coughs> rare um, instances of this kind of things in in nature, where you see um, groups of individual learning from each other because they steal songs from other groups which are not related to but they kind of they might be in the same area and then oh that song that part of the song was really cool uh, I can attract more chicks if I use that one and so and it, it's very funny uh, or it's interesting to go to acoustics conferences and you see people working with this kind of thing and yeah, the first 10 minutes they're trying to explain the song and then the last slide is probably ah and they changed it you know? <laughs> And then, okay, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's constantly evolving and changing, and the exact reasons why they do it probably has to do with mating, like you said, but mm. there's a lot of things we don't know about uh, marine mammal or vocalization. Amazing. Jana, I want to hear some sounds from you as well, because I know you've got some to play us. But I just wonder, before we do, can you give us a picture, the three of you, what it's like when you go to find this stuff? Like, how do you do it? I know there's a, there's a new, brand new boat in Bergen, right? The um, I forget the name. The IMR has a new boat, um, the Fridtjof Nansen. Yeah, so this is spectacular, huge white ship, which is fully equipped. But like, what is it? You know, how long are you out for? How you know? Are you cold and wet, or is it very sophisticated? What what's what's it like? Yeah, it's very different for all different locations, of course. But uh, back to the Silverbank, I was on this. Um, there's an arch foundation, the Tusenbolamites are contemporary, that um, have a yacht, very comfortable uh, So this is, this is an art world, uh, an art world, art world marine research boat. Okay. Yeah, where, um, but it, it's kind of lacking the laboratory, for example, right. which you have on a, you know, somewhere to work you know, when you're out there. So I'm kind of having all my equipment all over the, you know, where we have dinner and everything. So it's, it's not really, in that sense, so practical, but very comfortable. Um, but we have to go again off on the Zodiac so far away that you can't see the boat anymore because there's like generators. A Zodiac being a, small a smaller boat and then go off and then turn off all echolocators and uh, the all kind of motors. And then right. listen. So um, I'm just spending a lot of time listening. And then, like I mentioned before, I always have more than, you know, one, sometimes four. So I'll be sitting there, like, and I need to kind of hold the cables because if I just drop them off, they, you get this vibration on the cable. And I have specialized cables now built together with the uh, Aquadyne people because um, they need to be... Um, quite thick to not start to vibrate 
in order to get this resonance of the cable itself. Uh, and I need to be able to hold it. So I use just both my toes and the hands. <laughs> I look pretty mad. <laughs> so I'm sitting like this, you know, and then I need to con concentrate my listening really carefully because the <laughs> to be able to actually identify a fish, for example, you know, the grunting is going to be really quite not so easy to hear. And then you move closer and then you might, you know, you do this kind of searching by going closer to, or going in one direction if it's less sound, and you go in go the, the other direction, direction. and yeah. then in this way you kind of start to find the individual that makes the sound. Right, so mm. this, presumably when you're there with fingers and toes for yeah. the microphones, that works well in the Dominican Warm. Republic, right? Yes. So when you're up in, <laughs> when you guys are up in the foot or in Tromsø or yeah. wherever, then no, presumably <laughs> your toes aren't out. Do you have big laboratories on these ships? <laughs> we have several laboratories on, on each ship. These are very large vessels. Uh, but of course, this is, this is the open sea, and uh, you get out there and occasionally you, you see waves, and, and the weather is like uh, 10 and 12 and 14 meter high. That waves. big waves, right? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I get terribly seasick myself, so I know, I know a lot about that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, well, and also there's a third way. I mean, so I go out and do measurements, but more and more, what you see is happening is you have moorings with cables. You can sit in your office and collect data, you know? and there are more and more uh, kind of autonomous uh, vehicles. Yeah, uh, we're ha we have a project starting now which will deploy several uh, autonomous vehicles, like a self-sailing sailboat, uh, glider, and different robots, and send them out to do the measurements while you're kind of in the office still. It's a bit boring, but that's but your happening, toes, your happening toes more and more. Right? Yeah, I'm keeping warm that way. Yeah. I, I think the problem then is that you, don't, you can't listen actively and you can't move, because I've, I've been thinking about that, using ROVs you know, and, and gliders. And, and RVs stuff. are like drones under, underwater. They're remotely operated remotely vehicles. Operated, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then you can't kind of change your position, I mean, there's in the same way. Or you, uh, the, the problem yeah. is then that, for instance, sound, when we you're collecting listen. sound, you, it, it accumulates a lot, of, there's a lot of data, so it's difficult to send it through a satellite or things like that, so you need to do kind of online processing on the platform and then send some information which you can use to uh, change position. Uh, I think, I guess, one of the good examples of, of that is perhaps the you know, the North Atlantic uh, right whale um, system they have outside Boston, because then you, they're listening all the time, and then they're doing processing on the buoy, and then sending information to shore, which can be used to direct uh, vessels away from where they're de detecting the narwhals. Okay, I, I really like one. Sorry? Can I have one? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, we can talk about that later. Yeah. But, Maya, you said that, that, that it's... You know, the first time you went on one of these boats, you just rang up and said, "Can I come on your boat?" What happened? Yeah, I mean, this is when we met because I, because <laughs> I was wanting to kind of follow the migration of cod from the Barents Sea to the, you know, to the coast of Norway to spawn with sound. So I called. And that's how we we met, and um, I asked if I could could come. Or you said there was this um, research trip. I mean, it's about ten years ago now. And um, to to listen into the or to understand more really because I I knew I wouldn't be able to listen so much out there but uh, but to understand the ecosystem in the Barents Sea 
and to understand about code and, and all the research that's done there. So it's really how we met. But you just called up and asked to come on the boat? Yeah, I did. And they said... Because I do believe more that it has to come from your project and not this kind of... Because there's often this kind of, you put an artist and a scientist together and go and do something. And I don't really believe in that because you need to come from, from the project that you see. Okay, I really want to find out more about this. So then you pick up the phone or you know, email. Phone is better, actually. And then uh, to talk to people directly. Mm. Yeah, well, what we're doing in, in the, that survey, Lofoten service, is actually like traveling around with a flashlight and pointing it around and flashing and counting and looking. And, and of course, if you, if you travel around and you're able to sit down and, and listen to things instead, it, it's, uh, you can get more information on that point by, just by listening. Uh, but we are depending on, on actually covering large areas. Uh, but hopefully in the future, um, the more use of what we call passive systems of listening to nature will tell us more about nature. And uh, it seems to me at least very attractive to if you want to study a small fjord in Norway, a limited area, just get equipment, start listening into what's going on. And you can have, I pointed out that you can have directional information. Uh, if you're listening to fish, you know that um, the organs they are used using for producing sound will change with size, so they have, have like a deeper voice when they get bigger. And um, they also, uh, fish sounds different between different species, as Sean can tell more about. And, uh, there's also uh, uh, like a cod as a single species. Um, you would think that cod is cod and they produce the same kind of sound. Uh, that is to say the same, but that all humans sound the same. And uh, then you say, okay, but on, on average they are, are similar. Well, like humans, like in Norway, also fish have dialects. So cod in the North Sea sounds different from cod in the Barents Sea. You'll be listening to it. That's very Norwegian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different dialects in your fish. Dialect in the fish, yeah, yeah. As soon as you start looking into it, it, uh, it, it is like that. But uh, within a fjord, listening into it, you, uh, you know that uh, more fish will produce more sound. You use directional equipment, so you can actually pinpoint it, and then you know that, okay, the fish can't move 200 meters in three seconds, so that must be another fish. And then you can start map it. Uh, you can actually use three-dimensional three, three, three techniques and you can get a fairly good uh, impression of what's out there just by listening to it. Yeah. And also, I think kind of when you combine those two things, you combine the echoes under a sonar with passive, then you can... You have, you, you have more information in how... It, when it comes to behavior, for instance, um, we're looking into some of the data where you have, you have an echo sounder on the bottom and then you can see the mespelagic layer, the prey layer, at the same time, listening to the sperm whale clicks, so you know it's foraging and what it's doing. And if you combine those things, you, you get some more deeper insight into the kind of behavior and of, of that part of the ecosystem, I think. Do we need this information, or does it matter? <laughs> OK, now it's kind of a philosophical question. Uh, I think it's very interesting, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> So you, you're telling me now that your, your, uh, your motivation as a scientist is curiosity, <laughs> not money. The curiosity is driving you. Well, yes, curiosity is driving me. Uh, but then at the same time, you have, to <laughs> you have to get paid in some way. That means you have to get projects, and they might not always be uh, kind of the things you really want to do. But if you're very clever at asking the right questions yes. to yourself... Mm -hmm satisfying your own curiosity, then you get funding to do it. 
and you're learning all the time. Yeah, it's the same attitude as I have myself, but you as an artist, what's driving you? Curiosity as well, or? Yeah, but it's also for me important with the communication with people. You know, I mean, that's, I can hopefully uh, inspire or get other people to get interested in this too. You know, so there will be research done and, uh, and more knowledge will be uh, made, but, you know, created. But you have, of course, learned a lot. You know what the uh, haddock sound like, what the cod sound like, and you're not doing that to satisfy everyone else. You're also satisfying your own curiosity in that. You must. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, it's, it's great. And I'm, you know, but it's um, hopefully also to, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Satisfy myself, you know. yeah. It's, it's all, all for the money, Yannick, yeah, quite. Um, yeah, but, but there's, of course, a, a balance out here. If, if you want to ask questions all the time, but uh, uh, most of us are, are completely able to get out in nature, sit down, and enjoy it without asking questions. So there is, there is a common root at the bottom of both of your practices in the science and the arts of, of, of just being curious and wanting to know more, I think. Yeah, I think there's a very human thing. Let's, we're going to come back to this, uh, this conundrum of scientists versus artists. No, 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 in our lunchtime throwdown. There's no worses. I, mean, I must say, just as we were talking about this Lofoten project, I think, is it love.statl.com? I think. Yeah, not everyone lo likes that name. But yeah. Not everyone yeah. likes that name. Yeah. But the, 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 the LOVA, the, um, yes. this underwater yeah. project we're talking is an amazing real time. Uh, data stream from one of these underwater kind of multi-sensor pods up in Lofoten. So it's a good way to spend, you know, those idle hours uh, when you don't have anything better to do, just watching echograms and you can download WAV files of, of, of recordings. I mean, I, I tried doing it. There's a lot of WAV files on there. Sometimes nothing happens. Yeah. If you've ever been fishing, you know that feeling, right? And you're like, ah. Really? No fish? Okay. And so ten, 10 minutes is 700 megabytes. So, yeah, so you know. You have to, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's very interesting just to see what, what this is happening. Jana, what are you yeah. going let me give you the, yeah. the... Can we just mute the audio cable for a second? Thank you. What are we going to hear? Yeah, um, since we were... Okay, I'll just play one uh, example of uh, from the Silver Bank, I think. this. No, this is actually from Belize, uh, where I was also on the same boat. Uh, recording tote fish and tote fish tote fish toad like fish. toad oh yeah um, and they are almost invisible I mean the pod the fish yeah. uh, but they are very audible I mean yeah okay Let's see and there are some dolphins here also. The dolphins go, what, 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 and they also echolocate. And then I, I, I really believe those dolphins were playing. And they were coming back every day around five, and they were kind of around the boat, and then they had a 
the toad fish in the background, they, they're about this size, and there's quite a lot of sound you know, in terms of, you know, <laughs> size. Is that where the name comes from, from the, from the sound? Uh, probably, the and sound there, it's not like. the only one. I mean, we have other fishes also with a n name relating to the sound. Uh, I can play also, I recorded something that I do believe is um, Pollock, Norwegian Pollock. Sai in Moldefjorn. This is a very different sound again. Ask you actually. What, what time of year was this? This is a jazz festival up there, you know? Yeah, it was during the jazz festival actually. <laughs> there we go. Are these, are these sounds you recognize? I mean, is this, I mean, what do these mean to you, right? I mean, Jana, you've gone and recorded these because you want to find the sounds, right? Because you're interested in, but, but, you know, from your research, are you like, of course, this is, say, this is Norwegian Pollock, or is this a new sound to you? This is new to me. I'm the guy with a flashlight doing the very robust going all over. And, and it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm like the guy that's traveling on the roof of a bus or a vessel and, and using my flashlight up and counting birds and doing the opposite. I use sound and looking down and, and flashing it down and, and looking what I get out of it. So I, it, my approach is very, very simple, but I'm covering vast distances and have to use it in a different way and combine it with other information. But of course, the in the future, um, more scientists will use sounds produced by uh, the biological organisms to, to study it. Yeah. Uh, if I would have known that was a safe, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I would have recognized that it was a fish, but I, I wouldn't pinpoint it to a safe. Okay, so, so these are species-specific sounds that we think that... What then... I mean, I remember being, I remember being in West Africa doing kind of music recordings um, and talking to anthropologists and they said well you know we come with a you know dictaphone because we, we just we want to hear the words and the rhythms and then we go home and we write up a paper about you know how that reflects and, and to other parts of of that part of West Africa and we turned up with multi-channel recording gear and microphone like we were in a recording studio because we wanted to record the music and make a, a CD do you know what I mean and th there was this there was this peculiar kind of tension between the person who was there to count the beats and then the people who were there to kind of listen to what the beats were. And I wonder whether this is, there's some kind of, not tension, but there's a, there's a difference in the way that you count your raisins or look for the quality of your raisins in the bread, maybe, <laughs> to push a metaphor far too far. And, and what, yeah. what can you learn from each other? Let's start with the scientists. What, you know, what does Jana's practice give to you guys? Well, one of the things that we talked about is a bit earlier is that she listens much more than us. Um, and she's probably out there uh, in different places much more than us. So we have a lot of lear lot to learn from her experience. And also, so in general, the ocean is quite big, right? Uh, so <laughs> I just want to make sure everyone was kind of aware of that. 
Um, so one of the problems we have as scientists uh, is that we're not able to sample nearly enough. We're not able to go out and measure n nearly enough. And going out on a vessel is costly. You have to do it, but you can't be out all the time and you can't cover every area. And so basically uh, having people out there doing recordings that we can also can take a look at and see if, if it's interesting things for us, it's more people going out and to measure and observe is a good thing because we need that. So it's, it's, it, we're talking about a difference between listening and hearing in a way like... Yeah, okay, yeah, we're back sense. to that, yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Sorry, yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean we, we care about sound quality in a different way, I guess, because we want, you know, uh, in a very technical way, uh, sure. low signal, high signal, noise ratio, good sensitivity. We don't care that much about the quality, the, the subjective quality mm, of the sound. Sure. It's more the quantitative things that matters. Of course, and in, in some ways, the difference between you, Jana, and, and you with your flashlight Knut, is that there is a rigor in the way that you're counting and you're looking and you're, you're putting stuff together. Whereas for you, Jana, does it matter if you've got a full picture of all the different say in there or is you, when you find a good sound, are you just like, awesome, great sound, I can go home now? Uh, as you know, I mean, for, I think for Sorry. the scientists, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, what I do is not really... You know, what should I say, valuable in the sense that you, it can't say anything for sure. No, it can't. You know, because uh, I would need to use a very different methods. I would need to kind of be at this one place to, you know, see something repeating, see a pattern, see, you know. I was doing some uh, recordings of underwater insects, for example, and I was talking to a um, biologist, uh, being an expert on these insects, and he was saying, well, for it, for me to be interesting, you need to kind of. You have the recording, the time, you have to kill the insect, you have to put it there with the recording, you have to photograph it, you, have to, you know, all these things. For This was for insects, though. I'm not saying it was for whales. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so it's, it's more kind of a system that you need to say something about something. Do you have to collect enough data? And I'm not doing that. You're not doing that, no. Knut, you want to say something? Yeah, but don't underestimate yourself in this one, because uh, I'm traveling around and doing my measurements, and I want to understand uh, the variations in my observations, and see what is changing from year to year in different areas, what is the cause behind this. When I understand that, then I can tell, some, tell something about the nature that is reflecting these sounds. Uh, but my, my uh, equipment is crude, and my platform is rather crude one, so I need, actually need additional information. And you start with, on, my topic is fish. I want to then know more about fish behavior and how do you study fish behavior. Well, if you have, like humans, if you have different kinds of behavior, the sound you produce are different. So this is gaining insight into the variation of behavior. And this behavior, even be the angle the fish is orienting in the water column, will influence what I can see with my flashlight or my echo sounder. So more knowledge on that. I can increase on my precision and improve my knowledge. So it's, it, this is good. It is valuable. Yes, I agree. Okay. It is valuable. But you're also right that kind of if you're doing a rigorous scientific uh, observation, you need a, perhaps you have a hypothesis and you have kind of different other observations you need to do and then strict analysis and statistics and all that. But it's still valuable. It still gives us information that we can use. Okay. Hopefully communicating to the to an audience and get more people to study.
Yeah, I mean, citizen science is coming more and more now, right? Because even though, okay, the, the observation isn't as strict or following standard scientific uh, rules, but if you have enough of them, if, if they are interesting, if there is something somewhere you can't be out and measure, I mean, it's, it's valuable. We're heading to the end. It's good that we think we're all valuable. It's a great, yeah, great point I to be in. I think that's the um, take-home message. We're all We're going to open this up to, to questions, so do start thinking of questions so I don't have to make them up. Um, but I, 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 I'm interested just to kind of touch on briefly on this final point. We've talked a lot about you know measuring the fish, finding out what the fish say and sing and why and what they do. But, Jana, you, you mentioned this earlier, the impact on the underwater, I guess, acoustic ecology of, of mankind, of, of human intervention, is, is huge, right? I mean, it's, yep. it's not quiet under there. It's not just no. mating songs. No, it isn't. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, it's really, really hard for me to record without some interaction with a ship, with a pump, with a, you know, people somehow making a sound. Um, and it's it's enormous amount that we're putting there. I mean, it's it's decibels like 250 decibels. You know, thinking about what I was playing yesterday is like so much more than that, and it's killing the animals. Right, because it's not just a it's not just annoying for you who's trying to make a, no. a nice clean recording. Right. There's also this kind of I guess Amari Schaefer acoustic ecology idea of the sound pollution of an environment, right? Mm. And um, and, and it has a detrimental effect on, on marine life. Is yeah, that it's, you know, it can destroy the organs of, of fish and of mammals. It can, you know, destroy their hearing. Fish has a possibility to grow back hearing cells, which is interesting itself. But the mammals can't. I mean, they, they, they get permanent hearing loss, you know, and they... Uh, there's also they can leave areas where they normally feed, and they it's seen that they actually starve themselves uh, because they don't they are scared of going back to the area where they normally feed, and they don't they get lost. They, you know, you have the blue whales; they sending their signals all around the globe, and when it get interrupted by detonation of old. Dynamite from the war, for example, or from shipping traffic that goes past. Who they, they they don't meet each other. They don't. They can't send their signals. So yeah, How it's serious. I mean, yeah. this this is a fairly new problem. It started after the industrial revolution, yeah. right? Yeah. So no, exactly. Kind of marine life has evolved through millions of years uh, to use sound the way they do, and now suddenly we're putting all this sound into there. Uh, so. It's difficult for them to adapt, I would imagine, in many places and cases. But <clears throat> so we need to go out and measure more. We need to kind of, we need to measure more what the soundscape is. How much noise is it? Is it evolving? Is it getting higher? And this depends on where you are. And so that's one of the things Louvre is doing to have this long-term monitoring of, of noise in that area or the soundscape in that area. Um, but it, it's. Um, like I said in the beginning, it's a very complicated uh, sound propagation medium, so it's difficult to, um, often difficult to predict. So you need to go out and measure more to to monitor these kind of things. Uh, and yeah, since the 60s, uh, vessels have gone bigger. Uh, they're using more power. The bigger the 
there are more of them, so there's definitely more noise going into the sea. Um, the oil exploration, or the yeah. now towards the Bering Sea, which is really a sensitive environment because we have it's not such a huge biodiversity, and we don't know what's you know happening now with the air gun and the seismic so we know we know a lot, lot about these kind of acute things like you mentioned kind of what happens if a whale is very or a fish is very close to an air gun you know seismic air gun then it basically explodes uh, but um, but that's kind of the chronic thing kind of the long-term changes in behavior in individuals and in populations that's more difficult to observe and that yeah, yeah. We have 10 minutes till the next performance out there. So thank you very much to, to my guest, Jan Lindgren, artist, composer, uh, Cause Record from in the Institute of Marine Research and Guy Pedersen from Clinton Nicholson's OS. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for listening with us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. That will help us get the word out to more people about Boreale Santala. Ta-da!